Good afternoon and welcome to Taking Ship, a guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Frank Spring, joined once again by Ellie Jacobs, a man who has taken to fatherhood like hops to yeast, barley, and water. Welcome back, Ellie. Thank you very much, Frank, and thank you for uh, informing our listeners of Batgirl's arrival. It's uh, obviously great to be back with you and back talking to, well, each other as opposed to both of us just talking to mics alone like some creepy people at the end of bars. Yes, um, like like the like the madmen that like the solitary madmen that we were always really inside. Yeah, you know, if we're alone, at least now we're together. To, we're alone together, so I guess that's better. That that, um, that sounds like something a madman would not say. Not at all. Right. Would a madman say a thing like that? Yes. And, welcome back from the arrival of America's newest and most necessary hero. Yes. Um, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for their comments, both positive and negative, and uh, deeply urge Batgirl urges you to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at, at taking ship. And that's ship with a P as in paternity. Excellent. Very good. Now we have, we, we have a, a shorter show for you this afternoon. Uh, we are heading into the holiday. Uh, we know that everyone wants to be with their families uh, as opposed to being subjected to hours of us, but there are a few things, a few items that must not go unremarked before we head into the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, which, and we are confident that all of you will in fact listen to this before Thanksgiving. Uh, because we know that you all urgently uh, sit by your iTunes waiting for, waiting for this thing to upload. Okay. Or you should listen to it at Thanksgiving giving dinner. Yes, that's the traditional way, uh, is to listen to this at Thanksgiving, to place an iPhone in the middle of uh, the table, and everyone just listens to us and adder on for, you know, I mean, maybe really three or four hours. Like, the, like year, years ago when people would gather on the wireless to listen to the talkies. Except now it's it's, re- it's really gone downhill since Franklin Roosevelt. Pounds <laughs> of suspicion, tides of ill. Well, all right, we're not doing that. No, that's enough of the Franklin Roosevelt impersonations already. <laughs> there is a uh, a Quinnipiac poll out in uh, the great state of Alabama, uh, which sheds some light on the uh, on the electorate thereof, and and not very pleasant light, I might add. Yeah, so this Q poll came out uh, yesterday. Uh, Q polls in general are um, pretty reliable. Uh, there's a few questions in here that really caught my eye. So the first one um, is question number two in, in the survey. What is the first word that comes to mind when you think of Donald Trump? And the first word is uh, president. The second word is incompetent. The third word is idiot. The th- fourth word is strong. <laughs> Which, which at least those three words actually actually make a complete answer. President, yeah. incompetent, idiot. Yeah, president, good brain, smart, best words. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, from there it goes on to arrogant, asshole, leader, liar, great, unqualified, businessman, bully, good, moron, disgusting, buffoon, rich, narcissist, Twitter, honest, racist, change, bad, crazy, egotistical, immature, stupid, childish, embarrassing, leadership, pig, bigot, clown, criminal, different, horrible, aggressive, dangerous, dishonest, ego, hair, Ignorant, inept, patriots, successful, unfit, unstable, untrustworthy, awesome, awful, blowhard, business, crook, disaster, excellent, fantastic, impeach, patriotic, trying. I actually really like that the last one is trying. That's a strong one. Oh my God, that's great. I mean, there's a pretty, there's a a preponderance of view there, which is not positive. Uh, But there is a, but there, I mean, at least the opinion is fairly divided, but apparently no one thinks the man is giving it a shot. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, 
Whether you like him, whether you love him like him, you can't say he's giving it the old college try. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's not trying. Oh man. Yeah. So no, no, then the, the Q poll goes through some other questions about Trump. Is he fit? Does he respect women? Um, then it goes into uh, several questions about sexual harassment. Have you ever experienced sexual harassment? Um, if yes, um, did you experience it at work, social settings, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a bit of a run up to what I'm getting to. Um, this is questions 28, 29. As far as you know, has uh, someone, you know, sexually harassed someone else? Um, do you think sexual harassment of women is a serious problem or not? In general, do you think sexual harassment of men is, of men is a serious problem or not? Um, so this goes on for a few more questions, and then we get to we get to a really great one, uh, fantastic question that asks um, if a political candidate has been accused of sexual harassment by multiple women, would you still consider voting for them if you agreed with them on the issues, or would you definitely not vote for them? So consider voting. Twenty seven percent of the total says that definitely not vote for sixty two percent, and now the. The breakdown along party lines, uh, 12% of Democrats say that they would consider voting for this person. 81% say they would definitely not vote for him. And here's the kicker, and this is what I want etched into the, into the side of the uh, RNC headquarters in, in Washington, D.C., uh, free, free cliff bar to whichever of our listen, listeners etches that into the building. 43% of Republicans would consider voting for the, this person. Only 41% would definitely not vote for him. Let's do that again. So the question is, if someone is if someone was accused of or, or was guilty of... Accused of sexual harassment by, multi, by multiple women. There we go. Accused of sexual harassment by multiple women. Uh, would you, But you agreed with them on the issues. Yeah. So, I mean, this thing, I mean, speaks awfully for itself. Uh, I will just say here, uh, fellow Democrats... I, I think that resp- I, I think we have good things to we, we can feel reasonably good about our response on that one. I'm not sure I love the 19 percent who would do, who would do it anyway, but they're but 12 percent. Oh, actually, that's great. Even better. Um, that actually comes in below the figure, which is in, in any question of any kind, in any group of people, 20 percent will believe something crazy. Um, yeah. So 12 percent, actually, when the Democratic side come in on this is really encouraging. Uh, let's we, it is up to us to actually make that a reality. Uh, and I mean, the Republican one speaks for itself. I have just, just zero comment on that atrocity. Good Lord. Yeah. It, it speaks, um, you know, this is, and this is just talking about sexual harassment, not about, uh, pedophilia, which is what Roy Moore is accused of. Uh, incidentally, Roy Moore, um, in a video interview, uh, from several years ago, talks about how he met his wife, um, when he was 23 and she was, and then eight years later, he met her again. Um, so he noticed her at these Christmas dance or some other thing when she was 15 years old. She was 15. Yeah. Right. This guy could win the election. Yeah. So, so with that good news, let's move on to other interesting, important yeah, things other, that are other good, other good things that are happening here. Um, okay. Or perhaps not so much. Yeah. So, uh, net neutrality, um, is a, uh, subject that has gotten a lot of, uh, Attention over the last few years, it's uh, still reasonably well misunderstood. Um, The FCC in general is misunderstood. Um, But basically, um, all you really need to know about net neutrality, John Oliver uh, did a really in-depth piece on this at some point last year, where he uh, then called on his list of viewers to send their comments into the FCC because it was the comment uh, comment period on the rules. And they broke the FCC comment system. 
that could be because the FCC comment system was only set up for the 10 people who were going to comment on a regular basis, or it might be because tens and tens and tens of thousands of people decided to get involved about net neutrality, um, which, Frank, if you want to uh, um, give a, a, a quick overview of what this is and what it is not. Sure. So what's happening is uh, the the chairman of the Federal Communications Commission, uh, Ajit Pai, uh, is who I'm sorry to say is not worthy of a terrific name. Anyone whose name is Pai should be doing better work than this. Uh, Ajit Pai uh, has proposed a, a what is, amounts to a, a profound repeal of uh, rules governing internet, uh, really, really what they govern is internet service providers, the so-called ISPs and how ISPs provide internet to their customers. And the Obama administration had a fairly clear rule uh, it was called net neutrality, and the premise of net neutrality is everything on the internet is equal. Uh, that you, you know, the internet companies do not get to choose how quickly or whether or not you, a customer, can access one site versus another site within certain legal restrictions, of course, right? Like there, I mean, there, there are things in place to prevent illegal activity, uh, and and there are also ways for um, people to get around those, but. For the most part, the idea is it provided it, it is within a fairly broad definition of legal, anything that is on the internet, can you can access it uh, as a customer at the same speed and with the same, with the same availability that you'd be able to access anything else. So if you're going to the internet to apply for college, uh, you do the, that happens at the same speed that you go to the internet to uh, watch Netflix or any of this other stuff, right? Like the idea is they prevent, the point was to prevent companies from charging customers for a high, you know, higher fees for high quality streaming and other services. They serve these broadband heavy uh, services. Uh, they have to be covered under the same internet plans. And the idea is this will, when this, this is, those rules are going to be done away with. Uh, net neutrality will, uh, will, if it will, it will, under this proposal will disappear. And it's um, uh, the FCC, will simply be oh, these are, this is the word of Mr. Pi. Uh, the FCC would simply require internet providers to be transparent about their practices so that consumers can buy the be- the service plan that's best for them. So the idea is internet providers can block certain websites, can make certain websites more expensive, can make it more expensive to certain uh, visit certain websites to conduct certain types of transactions online. Uh, they can. Uh, you know, you could buy a plan for a slower package, a plan for faster internet, another plan, and so forth. It's going to look a little. It's, it would look a little bit like the way a lot of cell phone data plans have worked in the past, right? You get a certain amount, uh, although even those they usually don't vary the speeds. And the idea here is suddenly the internet is now suddenly internet provision is now subject to the free market, and you can and and I just the, these words just great coming out of me, but you heard it from uh, from that from that statement. Uh, the people that should, uh, consumers can choose the plan that's best for them. This has been the rallying cry of the of the deregulatory right for as long as they've been in a deregulation, and that's a, that's been basically since the beginning of time. Uh, the cons- what consumers want is choice. They can choose amongst the plan. This is the problem here. And that's a wonderful theory. It's a wonderful theory. Yeah, that's that's terrific. And we've sort of, we've talked about this a little bit with healthcare actually. That what consumers really want is choice. And 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 again, I actually think that fundamentally, with respect to a certain number of things, that actually is not true. Um, that what that there are certain things that are so basic that that customers just that consumers just would like to have them in their most basic form. Uh, and 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 this is and Ellie's got a good analogy here, which we'll get into for for net neutrality and kind of how it functions. But the fundamental flaw here, with respect, with specific respect to the internet, that I just want to I just want to bring up is the only the reason this is happening is that the internet is not considered a utility. 
utilities are heavily regulated are regulated in how they can provide energy, how they can provide water, how they can provide these things that are sort of considered essentials to uh, they're, they're, they are essentially utilities like they are essential uh, practical things that people need that people need to be able to to live the kind of lives that we choose to live in America. The internet is net neutrality kind of made the internet a, a utility after a fashion. I mean, you you, you didn't have to have the internet, uh, but if but it, but it basically assumed if most people want access to the internet, most people should have access to the internet, and they should be able to use it however they want without being charged more for it. Basic access to the internet is is a is is, is a utility. That was it was de facto a utility that's being taken away. Uh, I wanted to take a moment and contrast that with uh, some very successful economies, uh, including those in, the, uh, in Northern Europe, uh, particularly the Finns, who made access to the internet a human right with recourse under law about seven years ago. So we are, ta- so as, and they, they are not the only ones, they were just some of the first. As the world moves more toward opening up information and providing the internet, uh, understanding the internet's critical role in, 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 econo- in the economy and in, in culture and everything, as other countries in the world are, are moving toward that and embracing that and opening up, we are actually moving away from that toward making uh, access to high-speed internet uh, something that is, you know, a, a thing that is allowed for the ver- for for the wealthy and people of means and is increasingly out of reach for people without means. So this is the direction that we're headed. Yeah, you know, net neutrality. To give you an idea of sort of what we're really talking about in the end, right now, uh, and I just pulled up an infographic from Fortune magazine from earlier this year. Uh, it breaks down the top sites by percentage of downstream internet traffic in North America. This means that you and I, as, a, as consumers, this is how much internet, uh, what percentage of these sites are taking up the overall internet traffic. Netflix takes up 36.48%. YouTube takes up 15.56%. Uh, Facebook, 2.65%, et etc. et cetera. So it breaks down from there. Um, basically what this means and what net neutrality getting rid of it means is that, A, uh, your ISP provider, which is Verizon, AT&T, Roadrunner, you know this group of this group of you know savvy motivated yeah, corporations. Warner, all the people that all, uh, everybody that you hate, basically, um, they cannot they they will uh, charge more to those services uh, for using up their broadband, and they will charge you more to use the broadband and get it at higher speeds. Uh, basically, it screws both the provider and the consumer, which um, in economies of scale is never the is a good idea if there actually is choice. And this is where my analogy comes in. Right now, you don't have a choice who provides your water. There is the water company for your town or Hamlet or whatever else you live in. Um, they provide your water. It doesn't matter how most much. Of our viewers, most of our listeners are Hamlet dwellers, to be yeah. fair. We, yeah, we, or, attract, we have really tried to Hamlet dwelling people. Yeah, except for those up in the holler. Yes, Hollers and Hamlets is where people are at. And then we're actually going to start a new podcast called Hollers and Hamlets, in which we're just going to throw out of various Hollers and Hamlets for talking about Hollers and Hamlets in this horrible way. Yeah, and moonshine will become the official beverage of taking ship. It'll replace rum. Um, so it doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how nice your house is. It doesn't matter which area in the city you live in, uh, unless it's uh, Flint. Um, actually, no, it doesn't matter if you're in Flint because people who are rich and poor both got shitty water in Flint. Um, it doesn't matter how much more you pay. The water is coming to your house uh, exactly as it's going to your neighbor's house. Um, and that's because water is a utility, the same way electricity is a utility. Uh, there's generally just one electric company. Uh, there are ways that they break it down and maybe you're getting a certain percentage from a solar company, um, but you're still getting it through one um, energy provider. 
Um, it might be coming from different sources, but there's one person that is, there's one company in New York, it's Con Edison, that provides the energy from the, the creator to your home to power your internets. Uh, what net neutrality will do is essentially take what should be a utility, as Frank just said, uh, because it is a necessary uh, reality in today's day and age in the same way that um, uh, uh, water and electricity are, uh, truthfully, um, and uh, create a situation where you're going to be paying potentially a lot more uh, for potentially a lot less. Um, and really, the FCC, when it comes to internet, um, there should really be two priorities, expanding access and lowering costs. That's basically it. Um, you know, obviously there should be some kind of incentives in there for the ISPs to improve speed and reliability, et cetera, et cetera. But really it should be about expanding access and lowering costs. Doing this does none of those things. Um, but the FCC wants to do, as Frank was explaining, is basically, you know, something out of an Ayn Rand novel. Um, it's this belief that, it, you know, it'll be trickle down economics for the internet that if, uh, that, that the reason internet, um, expansion, the reason internet pricing, the reason internet uh, innovation has not taken place is because the ISPs are not making enough money. And that the only way that they can make enough money is if you start charging uh, individuals, um, uh, consumers and provider and content providers uh, more money to use their services. Um, so basically, this is a really bad thing. And uh, I tweeted a day or two ago, that of all the horrible things uh, in the deregulatory um, actions that Donald Trump has taken and his administration has taken, and who boy are there plenty? Um, I mean, the EPA is is a nightmare right now. Um, this net neutrality thing could have the longest reaching impacts, uh, partially because, uh, let's say, four years from now, a Democrat wins and they start rolling back a lot of these regulations. A lot of the environmental regulations those can happen pretty quickly, uh, but the expense and cost and just general uh, internet's an infrastructure build and it's expensive and it takes a long time. So these ISPs have to base things on a very long time horizon. And if these, if this net neutrality thing goes through, it means that may be pausing those sort of expansions for four to eight years. Um, so as I said, this could be at this point, um, yes, uh, poisoning the water, poisoning the air, um, all sorts of other things that they're doing at the EPA are really, really bad. This one is horrific. Yeah, it's, yeah, that, that's that's essentially it. Um, this is coming up. Uh, this is this is coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, it is to you know be you know be on the lookout to the extent that you may or may not have that you have uh, you may or may not have the ear of an elected official or can get in front of an elected official. Um, for God's sake, make it clear to them that you oppose this. Yeah, um, and you so. oppose it primarily for you know aside from the economics of it, you oppose it for the primary issue that you don't have choice, and this isn't going to create choice. Yeah, you have one internet provider. Maybe you have a second one. That's not real choice. Yeah, yeah. There may be two or three. Yeah, exactly. There may be two or three that are virtually identical in your community. That's that's that is not fundamentally a choice. And we won't even get into the the privacy elements of this as well. There are yeah. several. Uh, so this is this is uh, this is not a good thing. It's coming down the pike. Uh, it you know just because uh, the Senate tax bill is come, the apocalyptically pessimistic. And I wish I could remember who said that. Uh, the apocalyptically pessimistic Senate tax bill is coming down the pike, and all, all sorts of other dreadful things. Don't take your eye off this ball. If you've got an elected official uh, that uh, actually has some, you know, well, I mean, I live in D.C., so if you are fortunate enough to have an elected official, uh, you know, give give them the benefit of your views on the subject. Uh, it's it, it's really quite essential. We will all be surprisingly screwed if, if we don't. So 
Speaking of uh, surprisingly screwed by, uh, by, by some truly awful folks, uh, we have an update from Venal Pack, the war on the war on corruption. Uh, we have the news from the front. Everything is going swimmingly. Yeah, uh, we haven't shown the spotlight uh, on any anyone recently, but we decided we needed to this week. Um, and contrary to what some of you may think, it's not on Roy Moore, it's not on Mike Pence, it's not on Donald Trump. It's on Mitch McConnell, a.k.a. the Bluegrass Turtle. Um, Bluegrass as, Turtle. As you have hopefully learned at this point, Frank and I like to give stupid nicknames to stupid politicians, uh, such as Trebo. Um, and we have dubbed Mitch McConnell the Bluegrass Turtle. Um, if you need that explained, just... Look at a picture. Look at um, uh, but Mitch McConnell, uh, a native of Alabama, it should be said, um, quite surprisingly um, came out very strongly against Roy Moore. Um, Mitch McConnell actually has a, a uh, in- interesting record when it comes to sexual harassment and other sorts of things. And, um, you know, it might be the only good thing he's ever done in his life. Uh, but he came out pretty strongly against Roy Moore, but not in the way that you just want it all to go away and uh, let the election play out as it could. No, because the bluegrass turtle likes to play by his own rules. You will recall that he refused to let Merrick Garland have a Senate hearing. In this case, he's decided he's going to change the rules of an election. Um, basically, he is proposing that the governor um, postpone the election um, in the hope that there could you could create a strong write-in candidacy or that uh, Luther Strange could be written in and Jeff Sessions could be named to the seat. I don't really understand how that whole the rigmarole works. Maybe, Frank, you have a better understanding of how this Jeff Sessions coming back, how Trebo coming back into play functions. But the bottom line is uh, Mitch McConnell's trying to once again game the system, and for that we shine the light on him. Um, and more importantly, uh, if he's really interested in in keeping his Senate majority and wants to keep a Republican in the seat, which seems to be his goal so that they can vote on taxes. And again, as we said in the Q poll, um, and as it would be said on almost on a weekly basis on this program, uh, Republicans care about deregulation and getting gutting healthcare uh, above all else. Um, even if that means disenfranchising an entire state potentially. Um, but as we have said multiple times, we are strong believers in Luther strange as being a Senator so that we can get the strange King resolution passed and onto the president's desk so donald trump can sign it and immediately resign yes the the dream is not dead the strange king bill lives um and strange king maga bill the strange king maga the strange king maga bill uh because everything in 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 2017 has to feel like you're having a stroke uh yes so strange king uh still alive i guess technically even more alive under the the plan of the bluegrass turtle but nonetheless for suggesting a series of ludicrous uh, leg- of uh, what I mean, for, of truly ludicrous legislative uh, approaches and statutory approaches to get the Republican Party of Alabama and the National Republican Party out of facing any consequences whatsoever for um, nominating a uh, I mean a, a truly dis- disgraceful human being as their candidate in Alabama, uh, we uh, we commend uh, Venal Pack commends uh, Mitch McConnell for his excellent work. Uh, in the field of on uh, the field of uh, moral or uh, sometimes financial, but in this case, moral turpitude. And so, yeah, with that, Fra- Frank, before we close out, I just want to mention one thing, and I've been thinking of this a lot as all these allegations against Roy Moore coming out. Um, and Roy Moore is, uh, I mean, wow! Uh, you want to talk about somebody who's just an evil son of a bitch to begin with? Um, you know, as we've mentioned before, um, uh, being suspended by by the by the 
by the state Supreme Court for putting out the the Ten Commandments and refusing to take them down, and then uh, getting kicked off the court for refusing to enforce um, the same-sex uh, marriage uh, marriage equality uh, law. Um, how bad was Luther Strange's campaign to not have dug up this stuff? You know, this is a good question for an op researcher. Uh, I will say, and granted, you know, op research doesn't necessarily, if there weren't lawsuits, there weren't other things like they're not private investigators. And, and when we had Sonia Van Meter on, she, she was pretty vociferous on, on, on that point that they're not, you know, op, most oppo researchers aren't skulking around with, you know, long lens cameras. However, um, there, you know, there is a paper trail on this stuff. If he was, it wasn't allowed in a mall or if there's a yearbook, like there's some stuff here that just seems like really easy pickings that were, was ignored for the better part of 20 years, 25 years. Yeah, it's, I mean, the question is a good one structurally because Roy Moore is not the first uh, politician whose community, whose political community, understood he had what was sometimes, uh, what is sometimes politely and rather odiously referred to as a zipper problem. Um, except this particular uh, iteration of zipper problem is I mean, this one's even more Baroque than usual to use the kindest possible word for it. Um, I think the real question for why this wasn't discovered earlier is this. How would you set about as an opposition researcher investigating a claim of this sort or identifying a claim of this sort? Um, that, that there are rumors that he had, that he had, that he was, uh, that he was not safe to have around uh, teenage girls. Uh, sure. Like that, that had been around for a while, but those, those rumors are fairly old. Uh, he had uh, tracking down. You know, there there some there may be a paper trail, but for the most part, there isn't a paper trail. You'd have to go looking specifically for that piece of paper. So you would need to find someone who would tell you, "Oh yeah, he was trespassed from. He was he was told he was trespassed." To use the term, you can trespass on someone's property. You can also be trespassed by law, which is to say, you can be forbidden from entering somewhere. He was effectively trespassed from a mall. Uh, you know that you would need to have someone who would confirm that you would need to be able to track that down. You'd need to be- want, you'd need to believe it. And this, I think, is where, to the extent that the Strange campaign had op researchers working for it, and I'm very confident that they did, uh, we may be seeing a little bit of bias on the part of the op researchers and on, and on the part of the campaign itself, an unwillingness to believe that Roy Moore was capable of that. Uh, or if they heard the rumor at all, or an unwillingness to take it seriously as an issue. Um, either way, that's that's for them and their own consciences to figure out. But actually, finding finding the specifics, this is one of the things. the The rumor about someone having a problem like that penetrates very very deeply. We're hearing stories coming from many communities about uh, kind of uh, you know whisper uh, whisper groups and, and kind of whisper campaigns where uh, people you often women will protect themselves and each other by sharing information about the fact that some that some dude has a pretty serious problem um, this getting to the specifics of it can be a real challenge and it requires getting to the specifics of it would require a specific uh, instant would require knowledge of a specific story. Would require that you be looking for it, that you believe that that was possible, that you can believe you can verify it, and then and taking it seriously. And the strange campaign was just clearly not up to that standard. Yeah, I, you know, some of it I think also it, it also surprised me that the, the you know the Senate Leadership Pack run by Mitch McConnell's goons um, wouldn't have dug into this in some way. I mean, yeah, you need proof and you need to verify it and all that to really you know feel comfortable running or you know for legal to feel comfortable running an attack ad about it. But if you've got rumors and they're floating around, you know, you float that to a couple of reporters, they'll do the work for you. You can plant a story. And, and this, this has been done before where the story gets planted that, oh, there's a rumor and such and such. But the truth is like, but the truth is 
in order to really make this work, uh, and and Sonia Venmeter, if you're listening, or any of our other research friends, if you're listening, by all means, you know, I would I would love to be corrected here. But my my own read on this from my experience is, if you want something like this to land, particularly to land in something like a Republican primary in Alabama, uh, you you need an accuser. And 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 the QED on this is, we've seen what happens, what's happened with multiple accusers. And it's pretty much out in the open. The guy could still win his election. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, you, you, you need not only an accuser, but you need multiple accusers. Uh, and even then it may not be enough. And so on, on that happy note, uh, we are now going to go to something that actually is a lot better. Uh, we are joined uh, for, on this episode by the great Stephanie Klein. Uh, we're doing an interview with her about uh, her experience as a budding stand-up comic, uh, the role of comedy. And, and uh, it's, it's a great interview. It's a funny interview. Uh, she is funny we attempt to be uh, I, I should say one note uh the quality of the call breaks up a little bit uh so there, there are times when it can be a little bit difficult to make out uh what some of us are saying particularly stephanie it doesn't happen very often uh, but i just want to apologize to uh to our listeners and to stephanie who deserves better than this uh she was a great guest uh and we we were very privileged to be able to interview her and i'm sorry the technical quality wasn't wasn't up to scratch on this particular interview uh but stay tuned for the interview with stephanie klein all right, listeners, thank you for staying with us. Uh, we have a guest this afternoon. Uh, we are joined uh, by the great Stephanie Klein. And, and, I, and we have her here because we, have, we, we want you to know that we are receptive hosts, that we are, this communication is very much a two-way street with us. And we have heard, uh, we heard you when you all rose as one and said, for God's sake, do something funny on your show. Uh, we, you know, I don't know why you took us, took it this, took this long to, uh, to get, send us that message. It really is the lying that hurts most. Uh, but we have found someone funny. Stephanie Klein is, uh, in fact, has been doing standup for over a year. She is a standup comic, uh, with shows across DC, Maryland, and Virginia. And when she is, uh, not trying to make people laugh and succeeding, Stephanie, uh, can be found working on operational energy policy for the Department of Defense with Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, she was an officer in the Marine Corps, uh, has worked on mission sustainment and veteran workforce issues her entire career. She is a Truman National Security Project member, and she lives in Arlington, Virginia, with her super old blue tick coonhound, which, uh, for those of you who may not know, is a truly awesome dog. Stephanie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I just wanted to say, uh, you know, I've worked really hard my entire life. I have two masters, you know, expertise in policy, but I'm so thrilled that you guys wanted to talk to me about crafting the perfect dick pic joke. So thank you. I've reached, I I could die a happy woman right now. Listen, expertise is hard won, and and it, and it deserves its moment in the sun when someone develops it. So we're going to be talking about dick pics and nothing but dick pics for the next half an hour. So if you're if you're listening, and guys, just just be ready for that. Just just get your head in the right space for that. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy God, God bless us all, everyone. Uh, so uh, Stephanie, where are you now, and why? So I am in Arlington, Virginia, and uh, because pretty much, if you're going to do defense energy policy. You have to be either at the Pentagon or out in San Diego. And uh, I apparently don't like Southern California weather. Really? That makes you one of about three people in the entire world. <laughs> one of whom is actually me. I had a friend who lived out there very briefly, and, and at one point I was talking to him on the phone, and he sounded miserable. And I said, what, you know, what's wrong? And he said, that's another fucking beautiful day. And just, just crushed. They had like the opposite. I don't know what the opposite of seasonally activated depression is, but whatever it is, he had it. Uh, so, and it's also a famous hotbed of comedy, Arlington, Virginia. Uh, how does how did you get into the comedy piece? What is the comedy program that you're part of, and how did this thing begin? So, I love to write, and I was doing a lot of writing, um, trying to get through a, a divorce uh, last year, and it was kind of a difficult time for me. I've been a 
a military brat my entire life, was an active duty uh, service member, and then was married to Marines. And so when kind of all of that ended, it was like, what the hell do I do now? Uh, and writing depressing things was not making me feel any better. So I thought maybe I'll, I'll try out. No, <laughs> uh, I thought maybe I'll try out comedy. And so the Armed Services Arts Partnership, uh, which is an awesome organization, they offer free classes in just about every art you can think of for vets, service members, their families. Uh, so I thought I would try comedy, and I didn't suck at it. Good, and let's let's talk. That's congratulations. Uh, that is more than can be said <laughs> for a large number of people who try stand-up comedy. Uh, how I, I want to dig into just why the comedy program? Because there are any number of ways to to be to express and to kind of explore where you are in life. Uh, why was standing up and trying to make people laugh? Where did this one come from? I didn't actually think that I would enjoy it. I wanted to try it out more for the writing part of it because I really like writing. Uh, comedic scenes, jokes. Um, but when I was going through the class, it turned it more into kind of a group sport because comedy, usually it's very individualistic. And when I was able to get a guy who died twice, uh, in Afghanistan and lost one of his fingers to laugh at one of my jokes, that just, it just made everything better. I, I don't really know how to describe it. When you get a guy like that, who's like, that's funny. It's just everything. That sounds wonderful, and and I, I mean we can barely make people who haven't died at all laugh. Uh, that's that's really <laughs> impressive. Uh, so you hadn't really done. So you you you, had, you said you liked to write. Uh, was this something that you'd done formally before, or is this something that you were exploring through this program? Really, just through the program. I mean, I've written policy pretty much for policy papers my my entire career. So writing something just for me was kind of new, um, and. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head of where my writing was heading. It was just depressing and not not really doing what I needed it to do. And so this has been a fairly, I mean, this has been a rapid climb from uh, from essentially just starting out writing for yourself to being able to perform in front of large, how, how large are the audiences that you perform in front of now? Uh, they keep getting bigger, which is fantastic, or paying more, um, which I definitely enjoy. Um, I think. We don't, tell us more about this getting larger and paying more. We don't know of this. <laughs> I've heard people know, are able to do it's that. It's a crazy phenomenon that uh, it's, it's, if I had the secret for it for every artist um, out there, yeah, I'd have my own podcast. Um, but, <laughs> uh, the secret one, is to know I mean, someone at Casper Mattresses. If you've got to have an in at Casper <laughs> Mattresses, if you do that, you're golden. Casper Mattress, Blue Apron, you're, you're on Easy Street at that point. Damn true. So, please, um, not those sons of bitches at stamp.com. No, we, I, we've been clear on this, but it's worth reiterating to our listeners. Uh, we will be goddamned if we will, if we will sell a single stamp from stamps.com. The philatelists in our community have spoken. They love their stamps. We're rolling with stamps. We're stamps all the way. Old little pieces of paper with glue on the back. That's where we're at. Fight us over it. Screw your glue. I want the ones you lick on the back. We're going old school. Yeah, exactly. I think I have a bunch of lickable stamps right here. I love I love stamps too. There you go. Um, Excellent. See, yeah. you are welcome stamps. on this podcast anytime. Stamps dot com. Yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So you guys were talking about how you didn't want to make any more money. That's yeah, that's exactly. Um. And, and and we were and, and being really cogent on the subject. Uh, sorry. So you you were uh, we were talking about your uh, the the audience is getting bigger and and you're making the jump from writing to uh, to to being to being funny in front of people uh, quite quickly. One of the great things uh, with the Armed Services Arts Partnership is they're kind of like our our pimps. And I mean, I think it's probably just the best analogy for your for your listeners. Uh, so the great. Good. 
That's one of the very best things about them. They're like pimps. <laughs> so basically, as active duty, they you go where they tell you to go, and then after active duty, they still tell you where to go. Yes, but I think we make more money after active duty, certainly. Uh, <laughs> DOD is not sharing anything with you. Uh, one of the great things, you know, veterans are still very sexy right now. Uh, so a lot of organizations want to partner and try something new for, you know, their leadership retreats or events that they're having. Uh, so they reach out and they say, you know, bring us your, your funniest people or we're looking for, you know, this particular grouping. Uh, and... I will say one of the kind of keys to my success is that I'm always clean. I'm a very clean comic. Uh, I never curse. I never go gross. Uh, we don't do anything political. And I always keep to my time, which is kind of a, a good thing, um, which are kind of the keys of, you know, great organization. It seems like in comedy that being totally disorganized and having no plan is the best thing. Uh, but I have just enough OCD to kind of bring me to the professional category. That's great. So tell what is your act like? If you don't, if you don't swear, uh, and and it's interesting actually. I was I was about to make a joke because Ellie and I were constantly on this program. But one of the things that I, I remember someone talking about um, it was Drew Carey, who I think every day wrote a hundred clean jokes. That was just that was part of his discipline, and the idea was that. And he was right that cursing can become like that, like the kind of shock value of cursing can become a little bit of a crutch. So if you're if, if you're a clean comic and you stick with your time, what is your act like? So one of the things that I focused on going through the class was. It was a little bit of uh, catharsis for me. And so most of the time, I, I kind of stick to that about how hard it is dating outside of the military, how hard it is dating in general, uh, and just a lot of life things like staying in shape after the military or uh, you know things that I'm focused on with my job. Uh, and so it's a lot of things that people can relate to no matter what their experience is. And of, okay, so this person gets up there and she looks like she has her crap together, but really she's just fallen apart. And I can try to make people laugh at me about that, which is pretty great. That is good. And how has, is there a distinction you think within the, so you're, you do the, you do the act with other vets. You see, so you're, you're, you'll be one of several veteran comics that will be on for a show. Usually is that, is that usually how it works? Uh, more and more I've been branching out and doing shows kind of outside of that group too. Great. Um, which is kind of great, but for the most part, and I, I'm definitely most comfortable. I'm not an open mic type person where you go and there's a possibility that people are going to boo at you or throw crap at you. Um, I like my audience docile and paying. So I, (laughs) (laughs) so I tend to stick to that, but usually it is, it's a group of vets and it it brings a lot of, um, a lot of comfort before I go up on stage. What is the, what is the, have you noticed the difference in the comedy of veterans versus the, the, the comedy of, I mean, there's, obviously there's a commonality of experience there, but is there a different approach? What is it like to approach comedy as a vet and around other vets as opposed to, you know, entering from the civilian side? I think it all just comes down to the, just the difference in experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I, I don't have the experience of a black woman in America, so I certainly can't speak to that at all, but I know how much it sucks to get yelled at in basic training. I know how much it sucks to not make as much money and work super long hours. Um, you know, and I, I share a lot of those experiences. And so from that, we kind of take the worst crap that happens to us and try to flip it a little bit more because mm-hmm. no one, no one enjoys happy comics. You know, you get up there and <laughs> mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, I'm having phenomenal sex every day. I'm making so much money. No one wants to clap for that. No one enjoys that. They just look at you and say, well, 
now I hate you and I have no, I have no appreciation for what you're talking about. I'm consumed with envy and self-doubt. So this, this has been, I'm really super glad <laughs> right. I bought this ticket. But, right. uh, but so much of comedy is about creating tension and relieving tension as well, right? If someone's really happy, like there's no, I mean, you're, you're, you're basically screwed from the start. So you have to find some, a little bit of darker material, it seems like. Or giant mallets and watermelons. Right. Sure, that's exactly, we work exclusively right. with props on this podcast. It's a terrible that, idea that isn't working at all. Yeah, the watermelons and the mallets are definitely a different um, therapy session for, for vets. I wouldn't trust that up with comedy with them at all. Um, but in exploring the darker stuff, I mean, that's stuff that we're really good at. You know, if you want to talk to dark people, that's... That's kind of our, our lane. This is an interesting thing because one of the – I sort of have this theory that I'd like to test out on you, which is that I, I've been around four communities of people that love to talk about times in their professional lives when things went really bad, uh, when, 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 when things just got completely messed up. Uh, veterans, have, I've, I've, known, I've noticed, do this uh, more frequently than I think a lot of people do. Stand-up comics. I haven't spent a lot of time around a lot of stand-up comics, but, I, but in the time that I have – uh, I've heard a couple tell, maybe actually several tell stories about times that they absolutely bombed. Uh, politicos love to tell politicos love to tell stories about campaigns that went totally sideways. And entrepreneurs, in my experience, also tend to like to tell stories about like just just the time that they got it completely wrong. But sticking with the comic and veteran thing, is this is there a sort of a commonality of an of an interest in times that things are supposed to go well and just just completely fall apart? Yeah, because that's where you that's where you get the really good laughs from. You know, things that go wrong. Um, you know, as I said, I really like docile crowds. Uh, you know, the one time that I super, super bombed, I did an open mic for a largely Ethiopian immigrant group. And I didn't know it at the time, but my entire act was on marathon running and how much I hate running. <laughs> I, That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> it was, it was so bad. I, I couldn't land. And, and I will say like, they were funny jokes. I couldn't get one laugh out of this crowd. They all just looked at me like I was a giant ass, uh, and I definitely felt like it. And but the thing is, like that's that's yeah. such a great story, but it it sucked in the moment. And that just is knowing, wonderful. like, oh my I'm just God. bombing, and there's nothing there's nothing I can do. Isn't I'm just there, completely bombing. Is there something kind of liberating about that when you're like, well? This is already a disaster, so you know, like it can't get it can't get any worse unless they actually drag me off the stage. There's something kind of freeing about that, I would think. No, no. actually, this <laughs> 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 is awful. Like now, I mean, now now I can certainly laugh about it, but I think it was probably, you know, just my tenth show, and so it was still very very difficult. I don't actually love being up in front of people. I would much prefer to stand behind a curtain and tell jokes uh, and do that. But so having to be out there, kind of, I mean, it. Now I could laugh about it, and now if I bombed it, I don't think it would be as big of a deal. But then it hurts so bad. No, I don't doubt. But well, I don't. I really want to see this like this empty space, this empty stage with this sort of spectral Stephanie Klein intoning jokes from the wings. Everyone's like, this is really weird and spooky, but funny. Uh, so who are right. your, who are your sort of comic inspirations? Who do you who do you like to to watch, or who kind of who do you draw from when you're looking for inspiration and style or substance? Uh, well, I love Jerry Seinfeld. I've always loved Jerry Seinfeld and I love his approach on writing. I mean, he just writes so much and will go back and edit to the nth degree, which is what I do with everything. Um, Tina Fey is probably one of my absolute favorites and she doesn't really do stand up, but she does a lot of the improv and the writing. And that's, that's what I really love. Um, so those are probably my two favorite, you know, in the comedy, um, area and 
as a performer, Chris Rock is without a doubt my absolute favorite. Uh, there are tons of local people within the DC area that are absolutely fantastic and they're starting to, to rise to. And I kind of like being able to go to different performances now. You know, I, I will always be, I think, a solid comic, but I don't think I'm going to be the next Sarah Silverman or anything like that. And being able to watch people actually explode and see that that they're actually huge stars, that's kind of fun, um, being able to do that. I, um, I enjoy getting a really good paycheck regularly, so I don't think comedy is going to be <laughs> my thing for a while. Sure. I think, what was it that... Um... God, it was, it was, I think it was Patton Oswalt. Someone asked him what it took to be a professional comic, and he said six nights a week for 10 years. And that That's about right. So there are some of us, I mean, they will do shows constantly. Um, I I carry a little notebook with me. I'm always writing stuff down. Like once you get into that habit, you just you can't get out of it, and you just want to start writing stuff down and uh, practicing it in front of everybody. And that's the big thing is just getting to the point where uh, people will either pay attention to you or pay to come pay attention to you. Um, that's me, but he's totally right. You have to just keep doing it. So comedy, a couple history. years ago, uh, sorry, a couple years ago, HBO did this special, um, it was called talking funny and it was, uh, Louis CK, Ricky Gervais, Chris Rock and, and Jerry Seinfeld just sitting on couches talking about their craft. And it was one of the most like eye opening, interesting, like 45 minutes, whatever it was that I'd ever seen on TV, just kind of watching these guys talk about their craft. And, uh, we were talking about going clean, and they they talk about that with Seinfeld because you know, obviously Louis C.K. and Ricky Gervais and Chris Rock are far from clean. Um, some dirtier than others, um, but uh, uh, Seinfeld made the point where he used the he used the word "fuck" in a joke years and years and years ago, and one day he decided to try to tell the joke without without using the word, and it didn't and it wasn't funny. And he was like, "I didn't like that the whole joke was basically just using the word that wasn't interesting to me. That wasn't funny." Um, but kind of along those lines, one of the things I'm always curious about asking people who are you know, either genuinely funny or working really hard at the craft and becoming really, really funny, what's a time where you thought you had a killer joke that kind of just didn't land at all? And what's a time where you thought it was kind of like a toss-away joke that you didn't think was particularly funny that just crushed? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so I... I was at a comedy show. It was called Estra Genius. And so there was a, a local comic who really tries to promote women comics and kind of do our own show. And uh, it was a joke about uh, having been divorced. So I, I lead up with, you know, I was in the Marine Corps. Anyone a fan of Marines? Anyone like Marines? I love them too. So much so, in fact, I've been married to two of them. Um, and usually that gets a pretty good laugh. Like it's a pretty good opener. Nobody even chuckled at that. And that's kind of a lead up for a Damn. bunch of other jokes. And so I got just stone and I just stood there like, crap, they're not going to laugh at, at anything else after that. Uh, but I kept going and, you know, I, I think it was just people weren't really paying attention at first because I was the first act up. Um, they started to get more into it. But I was expecting bigger laughs because I always get laughs at that and nothing. I mean, obviously, like on, on this show, you, you need to see it in person to... You know, get in the mood, but yeah, but it's a good, um, jo- it's a good joke. It's a legit good joke. Right. Um, so that was kind of the, the worst thing. And it's taken several shows for me to realize, like, you can just keep going. Like, you know, something bombs and you need it for other jokes. Just keep going. Eventually people will pick it up. Um, as far as, hmm, uh, recently I've been doing some jokes about my mom. Um, just 
I, every time I get frustrated with her, I'm like, you know what? That's it. I'm just going to use that to my advantage and, and try to get a laugh out of it. And I didn't think a lot of it would be very good. Um, my mom's been planning her funeral for a while, which is, uh, she's only in her six, early 60s, but she's just been planning it. And so I kind of make a joke about that. And I thought it would be kind of a throwaway joke. And it's been one of the best ones. Um, I'm not going to say it here because I need people to pay uh, to come see that joke. But it's surprising in, in how how successful it's been. Well, you know, Casper, Casper Mattresses may or may not cough up money for that joke, but maybe they will next week. We've got a mom planning her funeral joke that you are going to want to pony exactly. up for. Casper, we've we want to talk about people who are now. laying down forever and going to be comfortable. Casper <laughs> oh, mattress. <laughs> <laughs> Plan your eternal rest on a Casper mattress. Nothing makes you consider your own mortality like sleeping on a Casper mattress. All right, this one's gotten away from us, but if you could take some time to workshop it, I think we'll have a good product for you. Casper, please don't leave us. We're so very, very close. You've heard the ceiling, you've heard the saying, sleep like you're dead? <laughs> Casper mattresses. You know what? I think, I think for that one, I'll, I'll throw you a joke, and if you guys like it, you can keep it in. You can keep it in. Um, so as I say, like my mom has been planning uh, her dream funeral for a while, uh, and in it she wants an Irish wake and a traditional Jewish feast, uh, and she wants a 30-minute stand-up set for a very small, intimate party of about 15. And I know that's nuts, and I, and I talked to her, I said, Mom, that is ridiculous. By the time you die, I won't be working small rooms anymore. <laughs> that's a good joke that's a really good joke all right casper Great. that works this is the tip thank you of the, casper the, this, mattresses. Is the, this is the tip of the spear <laughs> this is the you know get 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 in on get in on this time that's a really good joke i like that joke a lot yeah that works yeah. see and it was a throwaway for me that's, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, thank you all thank this you tension of like you know i mean it's but again it's got that that tension element like you know especially if you're kind of where i think a lot of a lot of kind of our colleagues are in their lives. Like you start to have parents doing things like planning their funerals and sort of, and it's, you know, it's this kind of, and you have to find it funny because otherwise it's a sort of bizarre and incredibly tragic thing. So that's a, that's a really, and then, but it's, but it's such, a, I love that joke so much. There's a wonderful, it's a wonderful misdirect. Sorry. Nothing is fun. Nothing makes a joke funnier than, than, uh, than breaking it, than deconstructing it in real time. But I really like that. That's a very, very <laughs> funny joke. Do you have a, do you have like a favorite joke that someone else has told or a favorite couple of like things that you sort of look at and you think, damn, that's a well-crafted piece of work. You know, one of the things when we were going through the comedy class, we had to study a lot of um, Jerry Seinfeld's jokes and how he breaks things down and, and how he writes those. It's kind of one of those, like, once you've broken it down 900 times, it loses a little bit of the initial funny. But just the way he writes most of his jokes make me absolutely crack up. Um, but kind of in keeping the vet theme, I'll, um, I'll steal a joke from, from one of a really good comic uh, who I, I worked my way up with, uh, Mike Carrasquillo, is an army vet. He was that guy who died twice uh, in Afghanistan. And he does um, a fantastic joke. So he lost a finger uh, during that firefight as well. And so he makes a joke where he tries to do air quotes and then has to stop and tell the audience, like, I'm not, I'm not a grammar ass. I'm not doing like apostrophe end quote. Like these are actual air quotes for me. And it, it only works if you are missing that finger, um, which kind of, you know, does great for him. But it's one of those that he just used, he used a situation like that to his, absolute advantage and that joke kills every time 
so short of losing a finger, I mean, I have to come up with something else, but it's just one of those that it's, it was one of the funniest jokes at the time that I had heard. That's a really, that's a really good gag. I like that a lot. <laughs> it's great. So comedy has had, <clears throat> and it, it's, it's going through another kind of galvanic reckoning with, with some of its, its gender issues. Um, I mean, you know, this is true of the entire world, but, but comedy I think has had a reputation as being unusually bad on gender basis. You remember the, it just, it, I mean, the, this, it was such a, in, in many, we like to talk about how this is America's dumbest timeline, but in, in many respects, like the the past is a much dumber place. Uh, I mean, there was the debate a couple of years ago on the kind of like are women funny thing, which is um, truly one of the dumbest things I think that has ever happened. Has your experience as a woman doing comedy, do you have a sense of that, of that gender issue being there? How has that played out as compared to some of your male colleagues? Is, does, the, does the fact that you're a veteran often, often appearing, although as we know now not exclusively appearing with veterans, has that proved a little bit of an, a little, provided a little insulation for this? What is, what is the experience like? I would say it's been huge insulation, um, the the veteran component. But as I'm trying to do shows out on my own, and I meet a lot of civilian women who are doing this, it's a huge issue. Um, the fact that you know there's there's a great guy John Yeager in the area who sets up these estrogenous you know female comic shows um, because he feels the need for it. Like that's that's kind of sad. Um, but the fact that he is kind of stepping out there and saying women really are funny is always great. It's always good to have allies. Um, I haven't seen it as much because I also don't rely on comedy, you know, for my, my bread and butter every day. Um, I haven't seen, seen it as much. The class that I went through, the women were solid. I mean, they were absolutely hilarious. Um, and when a lot of private organizations, when they ask us to come do events, you know, it's pretty even on, on who they want because they get to pick uh, which comics that they want. Uh, so I have been pretty lucky in that regard. I will say on the gender issue, I think comedy has helped me overcome it in some of the other areas. So I work in a very male-dominated policy field uh, at the Department of Defense, you know, especially working in the Pentagon. And there's a lot of that. And I think comedy has really helped me be able to diffuse a lot of those situations without appearing overly aggressive, as many women who stand up for themselves are often accused of. So I haven't experienced it in comedy, but comedy has helped me in other areas that I'm experiencing it. So there you have it, folks, uh, friends. It, what, you know, what the Marine Corps doesn't prepare you for, stand-up comedy will. Uh, that's... <clears throat> right. So what else... I mean... It, where do you see comedy? Where do you see yourself going with comedy? Is the I mean, and I realize you're, you're obviously. I mean, we've talked about the steady paycheck. We've talked about like so. I mean, you're not necessarily planning on becoming the next Sarah Silverman. It doesn't sound like your life plan is to do six nights a week for ten years. Uh, but how would you like for let's let's ask this? How would you like for comedy to go? What role would you like for it to be playing in your life five or ten years from now? I love to write, and so I'm really. I've been searching for ways to um, help with writing scripts, uh, even just doing you know unpaid internships a few hours a week, like working with different organizations um, or um, media outlets that will just let me write for them or help edit other things just to get in into that. I could definitely see myself on the side writing, you know, for a TV show, um, movies, anything that will let me do it. I'd I'd be happy to do that. That's something that I absolutely would love Uh, because at some point just getting up on stage that's not nearly, it's about 40% of what I love versus the 60% of actually writing something out. Um, that, and I can do that in sweatpants, which is nice. So, uh, getting up on stage actually requires, you know, you to look somewhat presentable and I prefer what you guys are seeing right now. 
Any job you can do in sweatpants is a is a job worth doing. Uh, although I, I mean, I guess maybe like maybe we should all become wrestling coaches. Maybe by that logic. All right, let's let us move in now. <laughs> To the light. God, boy, there's, a, there's an awful thought. Let's move now into the lightning <laughs> round. Uh, Stephanie, what is a, a, uh, a book or TV show or movie, some piece of art that you've seen uh, or read recently, uh, that you, or piece of music that you would recommend uh, to our listeners? So I know you always have super smart people on your show that only read books. Uh, I, I do watch TV, and I love it. Uh, the Orville is a great new show that I've gotten into. It's Seth MacFarlane's new kind of take on Star Trek um, and it's fantastic. I've always been a Family Guy fan, and Orville is just awesome. All right. Good recommendation. Is there a food or a drink that you've had recently that you would recommend to our listeners? Hmm. Uh, I was just out in Colorado Springs, uh, which I, I love that town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went to a place called The Rabbit Hole, and they have a butcher block with about 20 different types of meat on it, from like fried chicken to buffalo ribs um, to duck wings. It was possibly the greatest thing I've ever had. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. That so if you're out awesome. in Colorado Springs, yeah, the rabbit hole. I can, awesome. I, I can't vouch for the rabbit hole. I can vouch for Colorado Springs being a, a legit town for, uh, for at least for beer uh, and, and also for, for food. It is a, a surprising uh, oasis in southern Colorado, delightful place to eat and drink. Okay, in the Trump era, uh, lots of people are interested in doing something good. Uh, what is an organization that you are supporting and why? So monetarily, uh, Team Rubicon, uh, all the way, it is a fantastic organization. They do so much on the ground. Uh, They just act. People need help, and Team Rubicon is out there, and it's a great extension for people's service uh, outside of the military, uh, and they've been doing incredible things. Uh, As kind of an active uh, volunteer, I love to quilt, and so I make blankets and beds for dogs at local animal shelters. So that's, that's what I do a lot. Those are both awesome. Frank, we are terrible people. God, yeah, I know. I just, oh man, I, I feel horrendous. What have I done for the dogs at the local shelter? Not a damn thing. Uh, okay, so, oh boy, that's a thinker. Uh, so, for those who wish to uh, to follow you, to follow your comedy, to follow your thoughts, where can people find and follow you? I took a little hiatus from Twitter uh, recently, but I just set up another account uh, once you told me you were going to be asking that question, and so. <laughs> oh god yeah. I, I would never ask i would never want anyone to plunge back into twitter uh, on our account we are we are this big believers as we've said multiple <laughs> as we've said multiple times the move from 140 characters to 280 was the wrong direction we need to eliminate all 140 characters <laughs> we should just shut this thing down now but if people want to follow you on it well now i don't want anyone to follow me on it from here <laughs> uh, no i i the one I had before was a little bit more on the, the political side, but I'm just going to stick straight to comedy. So at Skleinerson, uh, but if you also want to just try to follow the Armed Services Arts Partnership, because I'm usually involved in everything that they have there, uh, and it's also a great organization, and I have a bun- uh, I bet that a bunch of your listeners would probably be very interested in maybe taking part in that uh, Armed Services Arts Partnership. It's at ASAP underscore vets uh, on Twitter, and you can certainly Google it. Uh, that's how you can find me. Great. That sounds like a great program for those of you who are listeners who may be interested in that. Do it up. All right, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. This has been awesome. I got so many good jokes out of you guys. <laughs> well, we, 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 we aim to be mocked for other people's benefit. <laughs> I'll give you 10% of my paycheck. Don't worry. Hey, that's some Casper money right there. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, everyone. 
Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Stephanie. That was terrific. Uh, Frank, great to be back with you. Um, we'd like to ask everybody to please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at, at taking ship and that's ship with a P as in pedo. Uh, fuck it. I'm not going to finish that. Um, please check us out on our, our Facebook page as well. Um, we're going to try to get a little bit more active, but we are actually very active on Twitter. So do check us out on Twitter and leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe, please. With that, Frank, where are we headed this week? This week, we are headed to Wicklow on the east coast of Ireland, where a fishmonger was recently pictured chasing a full-grown seal out of his fishmongery. Um, if you want to see it, you can check out this picture on my Twitter. I'm at Frank Spring. Uh, it's a good image. Uh, it's one that's very much in keeping with uh, Ireland's glorious twin traditions of fishing and unceremoniously throwing people out of establishments where they've worn out their welcome. But as a friend of mine, thank you, Horatio, uh, points out, uh, the seal's money is as good as anyone else's. And you know what? He's right. Uh, the fishmonger shouldn't have tossed the seal. The seal's money is good there. So as the holidays approach, the season of generosity and friendship, we set forth uh, to the east coast of Ireland to rebuild the bridge between seal and fishmonger, intent on admonishing and enjoining them to extend the hand and the flipper of friendship to each other. Uh, perhaps the seal could even become the fishmonger's assistant, a potential heir to the fishmongery when the monger himself retires. Perchance, they might fight crime together. I would see this movie, is the point. Friends, we take ship now for Wicklow and friendship. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Take care, everybody. <laughs>